Hello, welcome back to the show. My name is Francesco Pavone and I'm your host. And today me and you are going to talk about uh, exercise selection. I had uh, the expert uh, and uh, certified online coach uh, Luke Tulloch uh, discussing exercise selection for hypertrophy. So these are the things that we discussed together. How is it important to select the right exercises in the grand scheme of hypertrophy things? We a- I asked him if there is a, a best exercise for building muscle and uh, if it's uh, better to train the same exercise multiple times in the week or to have uh, different exercises for the target muscle. We talk about how isolation versus compound exercises affect a muscle building journey of a person and then we discuss the best exercises for chest, quads and delts. I also asked him uh, um, a few questions uh, about uh, when to change an exercise in your training program and a little bit more uh, about uh, when to up the calories, for example, uh, when you're trying to build muscle and uh, you see like you notice that there is a little stall in your body weight gain. So um, it's going to be a very good episode because Luke has um, a very good idea and a very good way to explain uh, concepts and ideas. And our conversation was just uh, generally chilled, but that's how I like to do interviews. Um, But that being said, long further ado, I hope that you enjoy this episode. Let's get to it. All right, uh, Luke, so the first question I have for you is actually in regards to the hierarchy of importance of exercise selection for hypertrophy. So when we consider like getting um, bigger muscles, how important it is to select uh, the correct exercises? Yeah, it's a good question because I think depending on how you look at it, it could be the most important thing or something that's maybe like not that important. And I'll explain what I mean. Like if you want to get big biceps, you have to train your biceps, right? Or big legs, you have to do some sort of leg exercise. Um, But beyond that, when we're selecting exercises, uh, sometimes people get really obsessed with having to do, you know, one special exercise or one particular variation as if that's going to make or break their progress. And the reality is as long as you're selecting you know, like reasonably good exercises, then you're going to be able to make a lot of progress. So, you know, on, on one hand, you do kind of have to know, okay, which exercises train, which muscles and that kind of thing. On the other hand, I think if you get too far down the rabbit hole, suddenly you start questioning, oh, what angle should I have the cable at and all this different stuff that can maybe get a little bit too far out into the weeds. Yeah. And they can as well uh, uh, take away a little bit of pleasure of training, isn't it? Mm. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I see it all the time. Like people get really obsessive about that. And you know what? There's, there's, when we're thinking about exercise selection, yes, we want to think about what's effective for our goals for building muscle. But you probably also have to think about, you know, what do I enjoy doing? Are there exercises that I like or variations that just feel good or maybe ones that, that don't feel so good for me? And you have to think about that stuff too. So it's not just what's the 100% most optimal thing? It's how much do I enjoy it? Plus, is it moving me towards my goals as well? Yeah, and if we stay on this point, I think also like uh, one thing to consider is uh, the fatigue. Yep. So it's like, uh, okay, we can we can talk about that for a moment. It's it's more like a quantitative uh, exercise selection where, uh, you know, we we can totally totally consider, okay, any exercise gives us a hypertrophy stimulus. 
But if we take, for example, a leg extension and a back squat, can you guide us through what, uh, how those two exercises uh, usually make people feel and yeah, how that those exercises impact their fatigue and their performance? Yeah, definitely. So you're right that one of the big things we have to think about is fatigue. So every exercise we do is going to provide us some kind of stimulus to grow our muscles or get us stronger, but it's also going to have a cost and the cost is the fatigue, right? Um, That's going to affect how much work we can do, how much we can recover from. And ultimately you need to recover to be able to grow, to get bigger and, and grow your muscles. So when we're thinking about exercises, we have to kind of take that into account. If I were to tell you, okay, we're going to do a leg day today and we're going to do 15 sets of squats you're probably going to go like, holy crap, I'm not sure I can do all of that. Like, it's going to hurt. You're going to get tired. Your performance is going to drop off really quickly. And you might even be sore or pretty tired and unable to perform again for like several days, maybe the rest of the week, right? So we have to think about that because we could still have a really effective leg workout where perhaps like you say, okay, we do a few sets of squats and maybe we do a few sets of leg curls and maybe we do a few sets of leg extensions. And so we're still getting great stimulus to the muscle, but we're not doing that super fatiguing work throughout the whole session. Uh, and that just means that, you know, firstly, the sessions are going to be more doable, but secondly, longer term or in the medium to long term, you're actually going to be able to do more productive work because you're not always so fatigued and you end up actually getting better gains that way. Yeah. Yeah, I can totally agree on, on that. And I, I think like uh, here is where uh, possibly the people who are listening will, uh, um, will think uh, I, the question, uh, is it better to do compound exercises like a squat or an isolation exercises? And we often talk about, uh, well, what about having both, right? Mm. In your training program, like we don't have, uh, we don't need uh, this binary view, either this or that, right? Yeah, exactly. I think you're right. Like sometimes people have in their heads in in the same way that people have it with food. It's like, this is a good food or a bad food, or this is a junk food or a healthy food or something. There's not really like a good exercise or a bad exercise per se. It's kind of how it all fits together in your program. Like, like, you know, before, if you showed me a program and you went, okay, this has 15 sets of squats in it, I'm probably going to go, yeah, okay. I don't know about this doesn't make the squat a bad exercise it's just how it's implemented right so definitely there's a time and a place to use compounds and a time and a place to use isolated exercises so when would you do that well sometimes uh, we want to be highly efficient our training and compound exercises use multiple muscle groups which basically means we can get good bang for our buck they're usually pretty highly stimulative of the main muscle groups which means we can just get in a lot of stimulative work on our quads or our glutes or our biceps or whatever. And uh, the issue then, of course, is is that, you know, they do generate a bit of fatigue. And sometimes if you really want to target a specific muscle, mm-hmm. then you want to go to the isolated stuff. So um, a good example is the arms, actually. Like if you do some rows, yes, you will use your biceps. Mm-hmm. Uh, you'll also use your back. But if you really wanted to get big arms, I would definitely recommend doing some direct arm work, some actual bicep curls or something like that. And the same with the triceps, like, yes, they get trained in the bench or, you know, shoulder presses or whatever. But if you wanted big triceps, do some direct tricep work. And that kind of holds true across different muscle groups too. In a compound movement, like a squat or something like that, you're going to stimulate a lot of different muscles, which is awesome, like I mentioned. But there's typically going to be one 
muscle group that's kind of going to be your limiter on that exercise. And you often see this, right? So when people are squatting, um, you're going to be hitting your quads, you're going to be hitting your adductors, you're going to be hitting your glutes, and of course your lower back and hamstrings going to be involved a little bit as well. But those are the main ones. But at some point, one of those muscles is going to get tired and stop working before the others. So if I'm in that situation and my quads just get tired and give up and fail during a lift, uh, you sometimes see this where people push their bum back and they kind of do a good morning to get the weight up, right? Yes. So that's a good indicator that that's happening. And what's happened there is that that might be a very stimulating set for my quads, but maybe my glutes are not even tired yet and they haven't really gotten enough stimulation yet. And so in that sort of situation, it's not ideal if we really want to grow big glutes. So in that case, we might go, okay, cool. Let's do some isolated stuff for the glutes. Let's do some hip thrusts or, or something like that. Yeah. So the compounds, yeah, okay, you get great bang for buck, but the isolation work helps you actually target specific areas and fill in the gaps where the compounds maybe miss a few things. Yeah, I think like this is uh, actually very interesting because if we think about uh, like the different goals then, that and the different stages that people are at, uh, um, I, I don't know about you, but I work uh, a lot, for example, with uh, uh, professionals who they, they consider they don't consider themselves bodybuilders, mm. but they do like to see a development. So maybe we can call them lifestyle bodybuilders. Yep. So, you know, these these people, they train maximum four times a week, mostly like three to four times a week. So would you say that uh, for a person who is looking not like not for maximal muscle hypertrophy, but like to generally develop a little bit of muscle and feel good, would you lean over the OK, let's focus on the compound movements? Huh? And eventually, if we have a little bit of time, we can sprinkle in some isolation just to fill the gap left from the compound movements. Yeah, I think as a general approach, that's a really good way to go. If there's something really specific, like sometimes you get people who come to you and they go, I want a big chest or something like that, right? It's yeah. like, yeah. that's the thing. Okay, cool. Well, we're going to maybe prioritize a bit more isolation movement on that potentially. Um, yeah. But certainly, you know, if you have limited training time, you want to get the most bang for buck. I think the way I generally program is definitely we'll we'll do the compound stuff first, uh, and then we'll kind of fill in the gaps with with the isolation stuff after that. Just just because you do get massive bang for buck for it, right? Yeah, but I have a follow up question on this, uh, and this is based uh, on on my experience uh, as. I am more uh, definitely more passionate than my clients about bodybuilding and I'm going to compete soon. So, um, cool. yeah, wish me luck. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Good luck for that. Yeah, but for sure. Let's take for example, an example, like you have, uh, the Romanian deadlift, your goal, like we're just taking the glutes and hamstring as an example. So you have the possibility to do two exercises and one compound and one isolation. So you, as you just said, like you focus on the compound first, you develop a lot of tension you develop, develop as well a lot of fatigue, but that, that's good for those three sets. And then you move into either a leg curl, a seated leg curl, or a lying leg curl, and you really like isolate and you bring that muscle potentially even a, a little bit closer to fatigue, to um, uh, failure, um, because then you don't care too much because the, the fatigue is not going to be as high as you, if you were to go on a failure on the mm -hmm. deadlift. But if you take the other, the other way around, so you do a, a hamstring curl first, so you fatigue the hamstring first, and then that keeps you humble, more humble on the Romanian deadlift. Mm. So you probably can get like the same stimulus because you have to lower the weight, but because you also are a little bit fatigued, pre-fatigued from the hamstring curl. Now we are often, uh, again, even coaches uh, led to think uh, what is best. 
right? Yeah. But we don't have to choose either one or the other. But in general, which one do you use more often? Yeah, it's a really good question, actually. So this is like a fatigue sort of situation. Um, generally, I would I would still work with with option A, but I think there are scenarios where the second uh, option actually works really well. So um, let's give an example. So let's say that you are doing your Romanian deadlifts and you know that typically your hamstrings get like really tired and fatigued before your glutes even get close to being properly stimulated. What you might do hypothetically is do a bunch of glute work before your Romanian deadlifts. So now you've pre-fatigued your glutes, meaning that it's easier for them to get close to failure and to get fatigued in your Romanian deadlifts. And now perhaps it's sort of that they fatigue very similarly to your hamstrings in that exercise. Um, so that's one way you could use it for sure. Uh, and I have done that before. So I think it, it probably depends on the situation. If you were to go with like a broad recommendation, then typically it is recommended to do the, um, the compound stuff first. And then when you're in an isolated situation, quite often we're doing this in a state where we can actually get a little bit more stable and we can do it on a machine or something. Yeah. And it's a bit easier in those situations just to push yourself and really hit failure and that kind of thing. So yeah. it just kind of feels a bit more comfortable, a bit safer. I mean, if you've ever tried to take a set of like Romanian deadlifts or squats to failure, it's really tough, right? So yeah. yes. uh, jumping on a machine and just kind of repping out afterwards can feel really nice as well. Yeah, I totally agree. Like for uh, for personal experience, I use the uh, solution A because mm -hmm. I think like generally like a person is in a fresh state, uh, coordination wise, uh, like it is just easier to develop more tension. Exactly. But on the other side, like if we take take as well other muscle groups. So for example, I'm just thinking about the quads, the example on the quads, I have a lot of clients who, for example, the first time they try a squat, they don't feel their quads. They just feel tired everywhere, yep. right? So I'm just thinking, okay, you can do a hamstring curl before three sets. Your hamstring are nice and pumped, which by the way, they offer as well a little cushion for your squat when you, mm -hmm. yeah, behind your leg when you, when you squat down. And then potentially the hamstring are not gonna be the limiter in the squat, but since the hamstring are already a bit more fatigued, that person can use the, the quads a little bit more effectively. Would you say that it makes sense as well to, to try something? Yeah. Like yeah. Okay. Yeah. I mean, that th there has been research actually looking at like the triceps involvement in the bench press specifically. So uh, maybe I don't want to swap like examples too much. So it gets confusing, but there has been research specifically in that. And what they did is they pre fatigued the triceps yeah. and then looked at the electrical activity in the pecs when people did bench presses afterwards. And the pecs actually showed higher uh, muscle activity. Uh, after the triceps have been pre-fatigued. So that kind of, you know, the same example could be used for your squats there as well. So um, I think the pre-fatigue, you can probably make a case uh, for that as well, that that potentially you're, you're asking other muscle groups to contribute more to a movement because, you know, one of those muscle groups is pretty tired. So the other ones have to pick up the slack and help yeah. do the reps. Yeah, that's, that's beautifully said. And, you know, like my follow-up question, like my next question for you was actually, um, you know, in regards to like, if there is any exercise that we or the best exercise for muscle hypertrophy, but, you know, talking with you, it's like, it's so good because you give so much context and nuances around uh, all these topics. So I think like the listener already know that there is not such thing like, uh, you know, the best exercise for hypertrophy. W would yeah, you exactly. add anything? Well, I think th there's a couple of things I would probably add to that in that 
if we think about what causes muscle growth, right, it's, it's basically that we need to put some tension on your muscles. And the muscles don't really care or know how you do that, provided you give them enough tension. So whether that's using a band or a cable or a dumbbell or a bar, they don't really know the difference between that. They just sense tension, really. So all we're trying to do in the gym with our exercise selection is how can we choose the exercises that are going to most easily provide us the tension that we need on our muscles without getting us too tired. Uh, that's basically the idea. So with, with that said, you know, yes, there are differences between different exercises. Some of them are going to feel harder at the bottom of the movement or the top of a movement. Some of them are going to have, um, you know, an easier time to set up or you can lift more weight on something or there's more stability or less stability. So yes, that stuff does matter in our programming for sure. But to say that one is definitively the best or not, uh, I mean, it really depends. You'd have to give the details of the context, right? Just like yeah. you said. Yeah, it's not helpful uh, for the individual. Because like exactly. uh, I, I come from a swimming background, like I used to be a professional swimmer. So like my shoulder mobility tends to be good. Also, my joints tend to be more unstable than other athletes or ex former athletes. But I can get away with a behind the neck shoulder press. Okay. But I don't know, like most of my clients can't. Okay, so yeah. I, I think also another thing is like, just consider that the exercise that works well for Luke might not work, works, work well for you or for Francesco or, or other people. Yeah, that's exactly right. And like, I think, um, you know, when it comes to sort of the, the execution of the exercise as well, then we have to take that into account. So a great example is a squat because sometimes people think oh it has to be done a certain way and my feet have to be parallel and it has to be shoulder width or something like that and the reality is that might work quite well for a lot of people but the reality is that it doesn't work very well for a lot of people and i'm i'm one of them like my strongest body part by far is my quads i'm very good at squatting um, but my stance looks kind of weird it's like kind of a closed stance with my feet turned out quite a lot and, and that's really it's yeah. narrow. Yeah, exactly. And it, it works really well for me to build my quads because that's where I feel most comfortable for someone else. That's not going to work. You know what I mean? So you do have to figure out, okay, what's going to work for me and my body, what feels comfortable and what allows me to actually perform well, because performance of an exercise, it should, it should feel good. You should be able to progress it over time, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, the behind the neck press is a good example. Cause I definitely couldn't do that myself. <laughs> Did you have any exercises like uh, at, at the beginning, maybe like when you started to lift more uh, consistently that you wish you were not so attached to? Yeah, well, actually squatting is a good example, man. Like I was just really good at squats, um, but I sort of realized because I had a bit of a back issue and yeah. I couldn't keep back squatting all the time. Uh, it was irritating my back. And I sort of realized like, hey, actually I can grow my legs by doing other stuff like hack squats or even split squats, uh, walking lunges, that sort of stuff all felt great. And I think it was maybe a bit of an ego thing because I couldn't lift as much with some of those movements. But the reality was I kept building my legs and I ended up like, got, I got pretty big legs. And, um, you know, people often ask me like, what do you do? And I'm like, man, it's pretty straightforward. I actually don't even squat, you know, <laughs> like I yeah. do split squats and, and stuff like that. And it works really well. Yeah, I, I, I was like, definitely. And you know, like, this is, I think, interesting for the listener, because, you know, it's, uh, it's just a matter of, uh, like, you know, in that case, like you build muscle as well. 
Yeah. Like, so, you know, we can talk about, oh, maybe the barbell back squat uh, is not the best exercise because the hack squat uh, has less coordination involved. So mm -hmm. maybe we can develop more tension and we are safe. So even we can bring it closer to failure and get away with it. Uh, back squat, not so much. But still, you did build muscle. So, you know, there is that. So I think That's like exactly. as well, yeah, a lot of novices, like they, they might just uh, like people approaching, approaching lifting weights. Uh, you know, maybe it's an important area, but it's more like the execution part rather than the exercise selection. Yeah. I mean, I would agree with that. Like, I think the, I actually made a, a post recently on my Instagram that like, there's just no way around like effort and consistency, yes. you know? So whatever you're choosing as an exercise, I, I think it's easy to get like, oh, is this one better than that one? And, oh, I don't have a hack squat machine. Oh no. Like, cause I don't have a hack squat machine at my current gym in Gothenburg and I love it. But unfortunately I don't have it. So I, I just barbell back squat instead, you know? Um, but it's more about like, yeah, training hard. Like that's, that's the big thing. Like training hard and showing up consistently is really what's going to get you the result. And unless you're doing something super wacky, like you said, you're probably going to build some muscle. So do we need to stress that much about it? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I totally, totally agree. Well, you know, I think, uh, I think this was helpful. Um, I just have like, uh, you know, again, we, I think like the people listening will appreciate, uh, at least, uh, your top three favorite mm -hmm. exercises for muscle group, like given all the context that you gave, I think, uh, having as well, like some exercises to choose from, uh, in your experience uh, would be helpful. Um, okay. So like when we think about your chest, for example, mm -hmm. what are the top three exercises that you would choose for a hypertrophy program? Cool. I really like some kind of dumbbell press or something like that. Nothing wrong with a barbell press, but I think if you put someone like if you had to pluck a random person off the street and say, you know, would you give them a barbell press or a dumbbell press? I'd probably go with dumbbells just cause it's going to suit biomechanics on average a little bit better. Um, so I like some kind of dumbbell press. I like using, uh, actually a, a sort of hybrid cable press sort of thing as well. And mm -hmm. what, I, yeah, exactly. And what I really like about it is that you can change the angles a bit. So with the pec fibers, you have some that sort of face a different way than others. And so getting some different angles in your pressing is really helpful to develop a, a big chest. Um, and one of the things that I think to, to go for a third exercise that, that people kind of miss a little bit is sometimes you might see a chest program and it's like barbell bench press, dumbbell bench press like dumbbell pec fly or something. And all of those actually challenge your pecs the most in the, in the bottom stretched position. And what I really like about using a cable is that it's actually a little bit harder as you bring your hands together in the shortened position. And so it just provides a little bit of variety in the difficulty of the movement. And I think kind of rounds out your exercise selection for chest that way. So you, you mentioned the dumbbell press, the, the cable press. Yep. One more? Like a cable, a cable, uh, pec fly or something pec would fly. be my, my third one. Interesting. Interesting. I, I, ju I just say interesting because, um, you know, I would probably, I would probably keep the dumbbell press, but having incline, mm -hmm. um, but for the sternal fibers, um, yeah, well, I would keep the pec fly for the sternal fiber because like the sternal fiber will work as well in the incline press. Yeah, but I would include I would include the dips as well for the costal fiber. Yeah, but yeah, I think well, that's, that's the thing, right? Yeah. You can totally have it. I'm sure you would include it. Actually, my when I do my um, my pressing with in the cables, I try and get that same sort of angle that you would use in a yes. dip. 
so that yes. you can get those lower fibers for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But one, one thing that I find very interesting about what you said is that the fact that some exercises, particularly the barbell bench press and dumbbell bench press, they challenge the pecs in the, in the lengthened position. So more mm -hmm. in the lengthened to mid range. And I think this is something that people need to know about exercise selection. Can you just uh, briefly like articulate what do you mean by like by that? And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, it's actually. I think this is quite eye-opening the first time you learn about it. So hopefully, someone yeah. will get something out of this. But um, if you feel like any exercise has a point throughout its range of motion where it feels the hardest, it's where the muscle is challenged the most. In some exercises, that's when you're sort of in the bottom or the stretched position of the muscle. In some exercises, it's a bit more towards the mid-range, and in some exercises, it's more towards like where the muscle's shortened and you've nearly completed the contraction. Yeah. So. Um, Let's uh, give a little bit of an example again. Let's use the, the pecs yes. as a yep. good example. So if you're doing your chest work, you'll feel that when you do a bench press or a dumbbell bench press, like where are you most likely to fail that movement? Where is this hardest? Where is your sticking point? It's usually like maybe an inch or two off your chest, right? It's at the bottom. So this sort of lengthened to mid range is where that challenges the muscle the most. But at the top, yeah, it provides a little bit of resistance, but not that much to the pecs. And my example of like, if you did the dumbbell flies again, that's super lengthened, you know, that's really hard on the bottom, but it does nothing at the top. So if we did instead a cable fly, if you go through and you can just practice this at the gym and you'll feel, okay, it's much harder as I bring my hands together when the muscle is shortened. And so that sort of biases the shortened range and every exercise kind of has this resistance curve or strength curve that we can kind of go through to figure out, okay, where is it hardest? Um, and I suppose if you wanted to go an extra level in your exercise selection, what you might do is try to avoid a bit of redundancy, try and include some exercises that challenge both the lengthened and the shortened position if possible. It's not always that easy to figure out, but I think the easiest way to do it is just to try it out and see, hey, where, where is this the hardest? Uh, and it's pretty obvious with a lot of exercises. Yeah, so in uh, in the example that you gave, you wouldn't have a person doing just uh, dumbbell press and dumbbell fly for this reason, because they would both challenge the mass, the um, chest in the lengthened position more than in the mid to shorten position. Exactly, so for example, yeah. like the cable fly would do because yeah, as you said, like when you have your arms uh, um, in a stretch position, you can just hang in there and you see no tension, right? Exactly, exactly right. <laughs> My, my, uh, what I say to my clients sometimes is like, uh, okay, where would you take a couple of breathers? Yep. And, and then yep. you know that that's the easiest part. Okay. So it's pretty intuitive if you think about it like that. I think sometimes people get really confused with it, but it, it feels quite natural when you think about it like that for sure. So I have just a follow up question. Uh, this is maybe more of, out of uh, personal curiosity rather than, uh, yeah, I think it's helpful as well, but maybe it's a little bit more uh, nuance. Um, it's so we know that the muscle get fatigued more uh, and first uh, in the shortened range and then in the mid and the lengthened range. Mm -hmm. So sometime in my program, one thing that I tried is like to start, let's say that I'm training two exercises for a muscle group, take the hamstring, I might do a line hamstring curl first and then a Romanian deadlift after just because of this. Would you say on the long term, it's something to keep in mind or not necessarily? I think it could be, I'm not a hundred percent sure how much difference it would make, but I think it could be, we do know that muscles can grow regionally, meaning that like different parts of the muscle can grow differently depending on your exercise selection. So basically the idea is that um, every exercise variation will kind of bias 
different fibers in the muscle a little yeah. bit more than others. And so if you were like, let's say you only did one exercise for your entire life, you, your muscles would actually develop a little bit asymmetrically because it's not challenging all of the fibers in that muscle the same way. And so thinking about this stuff, how you sequence the different exercises and you know, which resistance profiles you use, I think in the long term would probably result in more even muscular development, but I couldn't say exactly how much it's going to affect it. I think that's yeah. the tough thing to say. And I guess it's, it's, this is, these are the kind of things that are impossible to find out in research, because even yeah. if the, there is like a trial, it's not going to be like a meta-analysis of 20 years. Um, yeah, exactly. You don't get like, you don't just get people to test certain like little variable for such a long time. Yeah, this is something where like we observe a small change over like 12 weeks or whatever. And then we go, okay, well, if we extrapolate this over like 10 or 20 years, will it make a difference? And you just kind of have to go with a with like an educated guess on that. Yeah. Yeah. And, and here, I think the experience of the coach makes the difference because yeah, and you, if you have a good client and you have a good feedback, and then you can, you know, start to develop what what's working for you. Um, all right, let's move on. Um, what about shoulders? Let's let's go for the top three on the shoulders. The yeah, the shoulders. I think uh, you know some kind of lateral raise is is great. So that'll sort of hit more of the the middle fibers of the delts. Um, I I think with a lot of pressing, you'll get a lot of anterior or front delt. So incline pressing or a lot of your chest pressing, even some shoulder pressing. Yes, you will probably get some some sort of middle delt, but a lot of it is actually anterior delt at the front. So having something in your program like that is is pretty cool. I think those work quite well, but just bear in mind that uh, you do need something a bit more specific to the middle delt, which would be like your, your sort of lateral raise variation. Um, if we're gonna lump the rear delts in on this, I don't know if we consider those back muscles or shoulder muscles, but uh, I would do some kind of rear delt exercise and a rear delt exercise could be something like a rear delt fly. I, I quite like using cables for that. Uh, or even just a, a row where your elbow comes out at about sort of 45 degrees to the side. Yeah. Um, will hit the, the rear delts pretty well. So there's not like a heap of exercises um, that look really different for like the shoulders. But I think this is where you could probably apply the different resistance profiles. So for example, if you're doing lateral raises for your, for your middle delts, um, you know, doing them with a dumbbell has a pretty extreme bias to that shortened position. Like as you come up to the side, you'll feel how much more difficult it gets. And that's where people cheat, right? Um, yeah. But using a cable will provide a little, little bit more of a, of a sort of smoother, more even resistance curve. And, and how far away you stand from the cable stack will even change that. You can experiment with it next time you're in the gym. And so that's where I go, look, I'm not going to get too fancy with all the different movements, but maybe I will change the implement I use uh, to get a bit more variety in that case. Totally. If you, yeah, if you want to grow bigger shoulders, a, a lateral raise has, has to be like movement has to be yeah, in your program has to be there, has to be there. And like you, yeah. When you mentioned like the um, dumbbell lateral raises and the cable lateral raises, I think that's where people can understand what a resistance profile of an exercise means. Cause like it's the same movement, but just feel it is different, right? Yeah. It feels very different, very different one. It's like you have your arms on the side and it's easy. You can take a breather there, but you're not going to stop at the top, right? That's where the exercise is the most difficult in the cable. You just have a little bit more of a consistent tension. Um, mm -hmm. And depending on, on how you position yourself, you can have it more in the stretch position, or you can have it exactly difficult at the top, like, um, yeah, with the cable machine. Um, 
I'm glad as well that you mentioned that the rear delt, like that good way to train the rear delt is simply like through upper back uh, movement, like mm -hmm. just with the elbows at 45 degrees, like a bent over row or a dumbbell chest supported row. It's beautiful for that. I still find it like the rear delt, uh, this is the bodybuilder in me, it's like uh, sometime I, I tend to go like a little bit too heavy or I'm like, mm, am I going heavy enough? Because you still, it's um, when you have a bias on the rear delt, yeah, it's like still difficult to connect. I've, that's that's what I mean. Like most people yeah. find it hard, isn't it, to connect? Uh, yeah, I, I think it probably takes a bit of experience to really like feel it working. And if you really wanted to bias it, like that's where I would just include some kind of you know, rear delt raise or something like that. Yes. Or a fly or a... Yeah, yeah like a reverse fly kind yeah, of thing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Let, let's take one more. But uh, um, yeah, let's let's take actually quads. Quads. My favorite. Yeah, <laughs> I'm glad there you, you go. Chose it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So my favorite exercise is some kind of squatting. Um, mm -hmm. It's always going to be in there for me. Now, does it have to be a barbell back squat? No, I've used safety bar squats or hack squat machines, or if you've got access to a pendulum squat, that thing rocks really cool. <laughs> well, most people hate it, but I really like it. Um, it'll make you very sore. So some kind of squatting variation for me is, is always going to be there. Uh, I, I like having some kind of single leg variation too, um, mm -hmm. because I feel that, you know, some sort of split squat. And um, mm -hmm. I feel that that just allows you to I suppose, re really focus and, um, and deliver a bit more tension there if you wanted to. It's like, mm -hmm. it can be a bit easier to set up than a squat. So if you have to like, you know, get a lot of tension in your upper back and, and unrack a squat and get into position and all this sort of stuff for a lot of people, it's like too much, um, focus on, on all of that technique to get set up for a squat. Mm -hmm. Um, but for a sing and generating all the tension and stuff, just to like stay stable under that weight. But if you do something like a, a split squat, you can kind of just get your feet and legs and everything in the exact position that you want. And then you can just kind of go for it. And you know that that leg is going to fatigue and it's going to be delivered all that tension that you, that you want on the muscle. So I really like that. And then, you know, we want to train, uh, these, uh, quads in the, in the more shortened position, because both of those variations are going to do pretty lengthened position or mid position kind of stuff. So I like a leg extension for this. And the nice thing about the leg extension as well is that it helps you to train your rectus femoris, which is a muscle that crosses your knee um, and your hip at the same time. So we, we need to use the leg extension kind of motion to really train that muscle. And it's, it's cool because it's the one that lies across the top and it's really visible. If it gets well developed, then it's a very visible muscle. And so it yeah. looks pretty cool if you develop that one. So I like having some kind of a leg extension in there as well. And then it's nice because you can hop on that and you can just kind of like after doing squats, you can just freaking go for it and rep out and it feels really good. So those are my, yeah. my three sort of things that I like to think about. A squat, a single leg squat, and a leg extension. I love it. it. I think it's perfect. Um, and you know, like when you mentioned like the fact that uh, the quads is a bioarticular muscle, then I think like we can circle back to when we were talking about compound and isolation. And that's the clear example where you do need an isolation if you really want to develop a muscle. So take, for example, a stubborn muscle group. And in, maybe in your case, it's the quads. Um, you know, you want to have a squat like single leg is good i would do the, i would do it as well injury prevention athleticism it's simple just take the dumbbells and go um and then you go the the isolation so you know there is one thing though that i'd like to add on the quads because like that that's something i was pondering uh, about and and that, that's one i think one of the gaps 
that are commonly like existing in in you know general uh, training program or hypertrophy training program some muscle are just not trained or mm -hmm. given like for example the tibialis anterior right it's never trained <laughs> um but for example the quads uh, i find interesting that with all the design and all the different machines that we have we still don't have uh, a machine that challenge the quads in the fully lengthened position because as you said the hips uh, so the, the quads are hip flexor and knee extensor extensor so when you're in a leg in a leg extension your hips are bent so even mm -hmm. if you do sh you, you really challenge the quads in a shortened position yep. but what about the lengthen so we have exercises like the cc squat which to me if you ask me it's tremendously underrated I think it's a cool movement too. I really like it as well. Yeah, I, I really rate that. I, I try and use, um, to, to bias the length and a bit more, I try and use things like pauses and that sort of stuff to, mm -hmm. to try and do that a bit. But uh, you're right, it's like, there's not a lot of innovation with it. It's like, I mean, you can do like a step up, a leg press, a squat, a split squat, and it's all kind of the same thing in a way. Um, and there's not a lot of variation there so you kind of sometimes you can play with tempo or whatever but i agree that like a sissy squat's pretty underrated the only problem is, of course is that it's a little bit harder to to be stable with it right yeah well you know like uh, well this is interesting because how i like i don't talk about the sissy squat machine and that's yeah, yeah, that's yeah. something that drives me crazy is when i see people like sitting down on this on the cc squat machine and they're like just bending their hips and it's like okay that, that that's not what we want right like do yeah, do exactly. a normal squat for that yeah exactly exactly yeah but um yeah like take for example you do a really good set three sets of squat uh, three sets of leg extension and you have i don't know tom platz screaming into your ears and you have nothing else you still can do some cc squat to just standing and like with the hand support on the wall, because like you still like are going to be able to stretch those muscles and maybe like uh, the more intermediate and advanced athletes can get something out of it. It's like they can squeeze a little bit more out of their quads. But again, long term, I think this, yeah, 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 might, might be like a drop in our ocean, isn't it? We still want to be consistent and put the effort. Yeah, I think if you're more, if you're more serious about developing your quads, then it's something to consider for sure. Um, yeah. Maybe there's there's not that many people out there that are uh, you know sick in the head like me who want to just squat every session or whatever. So yeah, yeah, awesome. Um, well, I have only one last question for you. Like I I had planned to to do a little uh, like exercise tournament and choose like barbell bench press, dumbbell press, but I think like <laughs> we cover we cover a lot of it. I wanted to more, more circle back to a question that I received. Uh, um, basically, I said to my clients in our community that I was going to interview you and uh, Max from Milan, uh, one of my great clients uh, is focusing on building muscle. He's asking, uh, um, what do you when do you exactly realize uh, that the time to add calories to your diet has come? Like, do you have a way to, to know, okay, actually, it's a good idea to up the calories now? It's a really good question. Um, my main focus with my training is performance like for me that's the main thing that's going to drive progress so if i feel like my performance is not really progressing at the rate i want it to mm -hmm. i'm going to try and add some food to increase that now it could be some other stuff it could be my fatigue management or my exercise selection or whatever but uh for me i really try and use my nutrition to drive my performance as much as possible in my exercises because i know that if my exercises are progressing then i am ticking a massive box in building muscle yeah um so 
that's what I always think about. And that can be challenging because, you know, if you're, if you're in a cut or something like that, okay, you're not really expecting your performance to go up much or anything. Um, if you're at maintenance, sometimes it can be a bit hard to kind of be like, well, I don't really want to bulk and put on fat, but I do want my performance to be good in the gym. And so for me, it kind of comes back to like, okay, am I progressing my exercises? Do I feel like I have the energy to, for most of my sessions to be really killer sessions? Yeah. Um, and if not, then, hey, I'm adding in some food and, I, and I'm going to really trace performance with that. And I think when you do that and you work hard in the gym and you get those those killer sessions in, uh, it's like pretty rare that you're actually going to like put on a significant amount of fat, but you are going to potentially drive more muscle gain. So that's how I tend to think about it. Very good. Very good. As always, like performance uh, is, a, is a lead indicator in, uh, in hypertrophy. And I can't uh, stress this enough. Sometimes like I talk to, to some of uh, exactly the clients and especially the ones who want to build muscle, they are a little bit reluctant, some of them to get stronger. And it's interesting because there is the maybe like uh, this is different in, uh, in different cultures, but maybe where we are from Italy, like there is more the idea that a bodybuilder is like this guy who's just trying to feel the muscle and he's like, mm. his muscles are full of water, but it's not really strong. Now, if you go to a bodybuilding competition, if the higher you go, the, the more it is like that. Like these people are super strong. Like they are just yeah. strong people, strong athletes, because they just apply progressive overload over the years. Yeah, exactly. I mean, honestly, I, I've been there before and I slowly kind of realized like, hang on, when I'm programming for powerlifting and I'm programming for bodybuilding, they're actually not that different. It's just that in powerlifting, you have to squat bench and deadlift and you have to do a one rep max every so often. But other than that, like a lot of it is really similar. Uh, and, and you'll notice that all of the top bodybuilders throughout the years, they are so strong. Just look up a video of like Kevin Lavroni, uh, incline pressing, he does like 400 pounds for eight reps. I mean, it's crazy yeah. stuff. So yeah. yeah. And probably it's like saying, uh, oh, you don't need to lift big weights. Uh you know, to get big muscle, uh, but you know, for, for someone like this doing eight reps, uh, maybe like it's not a uh, big weight, but like the weight that he's using for eight reps for the normal dude is like never going to be able to get there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And it's interesting. Like my coach, Alberto Nunez, who is a, a drug free bodybuilder, uh, he was like saying the same, like the biggest packs he saw on powerlifters. And you know, like yep. these people, they just focus on getting stronger. That's it. And doing the movement. Um, so I think like there is a lot to, and, and that that's one thing that I started to to develop well to think uh, over uh, the years it's like it's good to have uh, this mindset it's like well the mindset of okay I need to get stronger and that's probably the main component of my training even on bicep curls or like lateral raises because uh, like yep. yeah your arms are small and your shoulders are small, but you know, it's no wonder maybe when you go to the lateral raises, you take six kilos and you do it like super slow, but then you can be very strong on the squat. So keep having that approach of getting stronger, but also don't forget that some exercises requires like a little bit more attention. Like, I don't know, I don't know about you. Like I, I start, I see like the squat as like, okay, just keep a good technique and get stronger. Like avoid yep. collapsing under the bar. But when I do a leg extension, like I don't just want to slam the, the, the weight up. I also want to feel a little gentle contraction at the top, controlling the centric. It's like it requires a little bit more attention to the mind-muscle connection aspect, perhaps. 
Yeah, I mean, I agree with you. I I do the exact same thing. And I think that's the cool thing. You can kind of have both, you know, you can have like the the sort of slow squeeze and and burn of a muscle sort of thing. And then you can also just like kind of hulk out on some movements as well. But that feeling of getting stronger is so motivating as well. Like, of course, it's difficult to see the changes in your body sometimes because building muscle can be a bit slow. But if your performance is going up, it feels very motivating. And then, you know, like, yes, my muscle is building at the same time. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And I think it's much more rewarding. It's like, I see. Mm. Okay. When you put on a t-shirt, you like, you see the muscle and you see a development. I think that's important too, of course, especially when it's the main goal. But, you know, the fun part is like, how fun is it to to get stronger? And it's something that for a natural lifter can potentially last for long because like you see a small but steady I yes, saw exactly. people like gaining muscle at 48 or 50. So yeah, exactly. Right. Uh, that, that's the thing for sure. It definitely sets you up. And then like, I've also found this because like, I still train for some muscle gain and that sort of stuff, but like I play some rugby as well and it's cool. pretty handy to get stronger if yeah. you're going to play sports, you know, just casually. So that's pretty cool too. Strength is never a weakness. Exactly. Yep. <laughs> Awesome, Luke. Um, so where can people uh, get in touch with you and uh, potentially start uh, working with you or inquire for that? Yeah, thanks, man. Uh, LukeTalek.com. Uh, or you can look at my Instagram if you want to look at some of my content. It's Coach Luke Talek. Yeah, I love your content. It's really good, uh, especially those infographics. Uh, and so I like the man. website too. It's very neat and simple. And uh, yeah, I, I like how, how you put it together. Mine has definitely awesome. more things uh, which <laughs> yeah might not be helpful. Awesome. Thank you so much, Luke, for taking the time and I wish you all the best. I appreciate it, man. Thanks a ton. Thank you.